0: May that be our prayer, um, not only today, but tomorrow and succeeding days as well. The Lord may have full control over us to do with us according to his will for his own glory and honor. We have the privilege of, again, looking at the saga of Gideon in the book of Judges. Chapter 8 is where we find ourselves this morning. Judges chapter 8. Uh, and I want to read some of the verses of that passage uh, for your own um, Thinking as we read through it in preparation for the uh, exposition of these words of the living God. Verse 1, Then the men at Ephraim said to him, What is this thing you have done to us, not calling us when you went to fight against Midian? And they contended with him vigorously. But he said to them, What have I done in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ab- Abizer? God has given the leaders of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb into your hands, and what was I able to do in comparison with you? And their anger toward him subsided when he said that. Then Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the Jordan and crossed over, weary yet pursuing. He said to the men of Sukkoth, please give loaves of bread to the people who are following me, for they are weary, and I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian, the leader of Sukkoth, said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hands, that we should give bread to your army? Gideon said, All right. When the Lord has given Zebia and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will thrash your bodies with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. He went up from there to Penuel and spoke similarly to them. And the men of Penuel answered him just as the men of Sukkoth had answered So he spoke also to the men of Penuel, saying, When I return safely, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeb and Zemunah were in Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000 men, all who were left of the entire army of the sons of the east, for the fallen were 120 swordsmen. Gideon went up by the way of those who lived in the tents on the east of Nobah and Jokbeha and attacked the camp when the camp was unsuspecting. When Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. Let's stop there. I've entitled this section of the Word of God, uh, Practical Spiritual Lessons for the Church. Conflict in doing the Lord's work is inevitable at some point. When it comes, how should you respond? In our text, Gideon's conflict with fellow Israelites provide some answers for such occasions. Though the nation of Israel do understand this is not to be equated with the church, the fact is people are the same, whether in ancient days or contemporary times. To put it in other terms, human nature is unchanged. Moreover, look into the text like this to draw lessons for our lives today in the church, we have this word from 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. Therefore, we can learn from the Word of God uh, that we just read, and as will be explained momentarily, how to handle conflict in the performance of our ministries in the church for the Lord. The narrative before us will give us insight, it will give us wisdom, it will help us. So when dissension comes, the first thing we learn in the passage before us from Gideon's experience is this pursue unity. Pursue unity. Verses one through three. Those verses show us a conflict. Gideon had conflict externally, as you know, with the Midianites. But another conflict arose here in the verses, the opening of this passage. The conflict is from within. It's from within the nation itself. It's internal. You would think after a great victory occasioned by Yahweh's intervention, there would have been offerings of thanksgiving to him. There had been an ascribing of glory to him. Perhaps they would have assembled to say, Let's offer offerings of praise to the Lord for what he has done. Instead, the tribe of Ephraim angrily confronted Gideon. Listen again to the words. What is this thing you have done to us, not calling us when you went to fight against Midian? (laughs) Um, They were aggrieved and they complained for not being included at the beginning of the warfare with Midian. They felt insulted. So they came to Gideon belly aching. They suffered from injured pride and even jealousy at what Yahweh had done through Gideon. These were sinful attitudes expressed here in this verse. Sinful attitudes like these are like crowbars in relationships. They pry apart relational cohesion. They work to disunify that which was in union. Team Israel at this point was divided. And by the words, I think you can see that Ephraim felt entitled to have been summoned at the outset. The reason for this, Ephraim was... Um, At this point in uh, the nation of Israel's history, the largest tribe in in that nation. Remember I read uh, from 3 John a moment ago, uh, they're reminiscent of Diotrephes in 3 John 9, that evil leader in the church that John wrote to. Diotrephes desired preeminence. He desired to be first. And Ephraim, that's what they wanted. They wanted to be first. They were, in fact, like a corporate prima donna. You know, there is a practice across our nation. Memorializing people who have achieved renown or considered worthy of being honored by roadside signage. We've all seen it. We've all driven down the highways and we've seen those signs. This is the home of whomever. If such a practice had existed 3,000 years ago in Israel, maybe Ephraim would have erected a sign that read, entering the inheritance of the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Joshua, the son of Nun. Remember Joshua, the general of the conquest? He's our homeboy. (laughs) He's at our tribe. This is where you are now. You've gotten there. General Joshua, you know, he was Moses' assistant. (laughs) So with their size and with their own self-importance and with the esteem of having none other than Joshua being a member of their tribe, we could see how they felt entitled to be, um, talk to me first. That's the way pride works. That's the way jealousy works. That's the way it works when people feel like um, they are deserving and entitled. But it doesn't stop there. Look at the bottom of the verse. It says this, and they contended with him vigorously. The NIV renders this part of verse 1 this way, and they criticized him sharply. So this wasn't just a a kind of a, well, we're kind of upset. No, 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 no. They went after him. These were disunifying words. Talk this way to the man. Such a conflict at this point required a decision. What do you do when someone comes and unjustly attacks you, criticizes you verbally? How do you respond? Well, you can respond this way. You can pour gasoline on the fire. Or you can deprive the fire of oxygen. Gideon's words, as we'll see momentarily, are the latter. They were like a fire extinguisher. In a kind of proverb, Gideon does something. Notice, he says, what have I done in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of bezer? What he is doing here in this kind of proverb, he is belittling, belittling his own accomplishment in elevating theirs. He says, In comparison to you, Ephraim, oh, what have I done? Further, he says, God has given the leaders of Midian, Urub, and Zeb into your hands. Look at what God has done through you. He's allowed you to capture two of the Midianite kings. By the way, Midian, they had more than one king. They could have up to five. Back in Moses' day, they did. And here are two of them. And Ephraim, whom Gideon had called to the battle after the initiation of the conflict, had come and God had given these two leaders into their hands. What can we say about Gideon's? response here when he says their work is greater than his own. Gideon's reply demonstrated an absence of ego or pride. It's the negative. And it demonstrated wisdom. Gideon anticipated the words of Solomon recorded in Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs it up. Gideon had an opportunity to say he could give as good as he gets. Some people like to do that. Uh, No, you don't come against me that way. I'm going to give it back to you just like you gave it to me. That kind of interchange is unhelpful. The wise interchange is a gentle answer. It turns away wrath. You know, that's, all, that's a good, good verse for any relationship, isn't it? Not, not only in the church, but uh, in any relationship, because there are always people who are cantankerous, upset about something. And their words reflect it. The wise person says, I'm going to answer gently. I'm not going to return a harsh word. Did it help? Did it help? Look at the bottom of the verse. Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. The temperature was lowered. Charles Fuller was a radio evangelist used greatly by God um, in yesteryear. A man verbally um, assaulted him publicly. When questioned about it, Fuller replied, Yes, God bless him. What? <laughs> <laughs> the inquirer said, you do not seem upset. Fuller replied, quote, why should I let someone else decide how I am going to act? End of quote. Fuller is right. You see, we're not responsible for how people treat us, but we are responsible for how we treat them. Fuller understood that. Not only that, our response is to be governed by the word of God. First Peter three nine. Paul uh, Peter is writing to the the saints, and there will be opportunities for things said outside the church and inside the church. First Peter three nine says this: not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you a call for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You see what the word of God says? Someone, they come toward you with evil, you don't return evil. That's what Jesus told us, you don't resist an evil person. But giving uh, a blessing rather than an insult. You insult me, you hit me hard, I hit you back harder. Christian response says, No, 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 you give a blessing. That's what Fuller did. Yes, God bless him. Remember, he said that? There, here's the rationale for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Listen, here's what this verse is telling us. When you give someone a blessing, you say they don't deserve it, neither did you. You didn't deserve the blessing of eternal life. We forget that. We're worried about what somebody deserves or does not deserve and forget what we didn't deserve and here we are, the recipients of a blessing that cannot be surpassed, eternal life. We'll inherit that blessing. Think about that next time someone comes at you. Just bless them. Speak well of them. Because you know, hey, what I deserved, <laughs> but what I've got. I, there's a little saying some of us have said, uh, we say, How are you doing? say, Better than I deserve. It's true. So we have the undeserved blessing of eternal life. You say, But it hurts. Take it to the Lord. What, it, what did Jesus do? He committed to him who judges righteously. Just take it to the Father, Father, you see. I'm going to do what you say, you handle it. I'm going to just do what you say, do. So we're not to respond in kind. We're to respond differently. And that marks us off as children of God. Now I'm going to tell you, uh, (laughs) Gideon's response was a wise one. In fact, it more than likely... um, Without question, it uh, forestalled widening of the rift. The fragmentation didn't get any bigger. Perhaps it restored it. But also, what it more likely prevented was intra-intra-tribal warfare. Intra-tribal warfare that later occurred. Jephthah, another one of the judges in Israel, he kind (laughs) of. A a verbal battle with the Ephraimites. Wouldn't you know it'd be the Ephraimites, Judges 12? That's like, that's where they were. (laughs) So Jephthah, and Jephthah was not taking any stuff off of them. And so his response led to a warfare between Jephthah and the Ephraimites. Gideon's reply promoted unity. Peace. And that is what we're to do. We're to uh, pursue and promote unity among ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, puts it like this Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the responsibility of every Christian in the local assembly. Believers are one spiritually because we've been united to one another by the Spirit and united to Jesus Christ. We're one. That's an individual union. That's one that will never be broken. You, you can't ununify unify us in terms of our spiritual oneness. But the maintenance of practical unity is the horse of a different color. We're to preserve that unity in practical terms, and we do that by the exposition of godly qualities. In Ephesians 4:1, it tells us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, our calling to salvation. We've been summoned from sin to Christ, summoned from hell-bound direction to going to heaven and since God has done this graciously t- for us, we are to live according to our high calling. How do we do that? These are godly qualities or virtues. Among them, humility and gentleness, patience, and tolerance for one another, and love. Ephesians 4.2. Self, self exaltation, pride, pr- prestige, pre- preeminence, Ephraimites and Diatrophies. Those things cannot be the concern of those who are seeking to promote unity in a local assembly. Here's a man, Gideon, says, Let's be one. So what are we to do Uh, when there's conflict that arises? Pursue unity. Pursue unity. Next thing, when conflict arises, uh, persevere in God's will. Now, (laughs) you remember um, verse three, the bottom of the verse, or rather, verse one, the bottom of verse one. And they contended with him sh- vigorously. They sharply criticized him. Get this point. Sometimes people who find a lot to criticize in the lives of others are people who have no sense of urgency about their own lives in service to Christ. They're too busy saying the, the fault there, the fault there, the fault there. Fault, you, you know, you got this problem, you got that problem, you got that problem. I say, oh, wait, 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 wait. You're going to spend your time looking for those things when you ought to be pursuing Christ. Look, Look what Gideon did, verse 40. Then Gideon and 300 men who were with him came to Jordan and crossed over, weary yet pursuing. Gideon had a sense of urgency about what the Lord had given him to do. You know what that was? Deliver Israel. He had crossed the Jordan. He and his men were weary yet they're pursuing. We ought to mirror Gideon's urgency. are things to be done for Christ, right? We need to preach the gospel. People need to hear the, the gospel. They're young believers who need to be discipled. Ma- more mature saints need to be encouraged to continue to pursue greater maturity. We have much to do. We have to pursue... Uh, persevere in God's will for us. And that's what Gideon did. The conflict arose with this these people. Verses 5 through 9. I read them earlier. Sukkoth. Um You notice what they say in <laughs> verse 6. Are the hands of Zebah and Zalmona already in your hands? That we should give bread to your Army. Uh, how interesting. They categorically refuse to help Gideon in his divine assignment. And in this verse, they're just flat out sarcastic. And their response is really a graphic. You can't see it in the English, but this is what it is. The words are the hands of Zeba and Zalmuna already in your hands? Literally translated, are the palms, are the palms. Del Ralph Davis tells us, quote, this may allude to the practice of dismembering conquered enemies. If so, uh, the men of Sukkoth are sarcastically asking if Gideon has already vanquished the Midianite kings and cut off their hands, and can they produce them as proof of his victory? Of quote. In other words, if you can't do that, man, and we ain't giving you any bread, <laughs> go on about your business. We ain't stutting. That's what the kid they used to say. I ain't stutting you. Uh, some of y'all may have heard that, and <laughs> I suppose I was mangling of the word studying, and I don't know what it was, but everybody knew what we were talking about. In other words, we're not paying you any attention. I ain't thinking about you. Likewise, the men of Penuel refused to help Gideon. Verses 7 through 9. These two towns and their leaders were on the east side of Jordan. They were fellow Jews. Uh, They were the tribe of Gad, and they said, no thanks. The refusal of these Jews to help Gideon was tantamount to refusing to aid the Lord. Yes. Yes and in effect, aligning themselves with the Lord's enemies, the Midianites, and against the Lord's chosen deliverer, Gideon. Remember when Deborah and Barak, uh, after a victory arose, one of the people, the towns in Israel, was cursed because they refused to help out? He so, said, well, some suggest that They were afraid of reprisals. I mean, if Gideon didn't succeed in completely routing them, maybe the Midianites would come back and say, Oh, you people of Sukkoth, you people of Penuel, you helped them out. We're going to fix you now. I would say this to anybody. Never bet against the Lord. It is a spiritual no-brainer that believers should join in where God is working. Be on the right side of spiritual history. Let me give you something else that we learn as you persevere in the will of God. People will disappoint you. If you haven't figured that out yet, keep breathing. people will disappoint you. Christians will disappoint you. I've um, seen that for decades. People who disappointed their fellow believers because of their actions. When I was younger, it it stung more because I was naive. I'm not naive any longer. <laughs> I left my naivety na- being naive back there. So understand, uh, if the people will disappoint you, if you don't get that, you it'll be hard for you to survive. Gotta know folk will. People's feet are made of clay. Right? There's only one who will never disappoint you. His name is Jesus. Others will. His followers, many of them, will disappoint you. Even exalted um, apostle. Remember Peter? Peter got caught up in that thing in Galatians 2. Uh, the Jews are coming. can't eat with you Gentiles. This is the apostle Peter. He had had the dream about the sheep and the animals. The Lord had taught him, and he was still acting him hypocritically, and Paul had to confront him face-to-face, people will disappoint you. You Keep on going. And persevere in the things that God has called you to do. Gideon did. He was undeterred. Verses 10 through 12 show us he says, I have a job to do. I'm disappointed Sukoth and Penuel, I'll take care of that later. But right now, I've got to go do what the Lord has called me to do. You see it there in those verses. Before you look there, you have to say, well, how could he have had such resolve? How could he have done all of that? I'm going to tell you how. As we worked our way through this, we see the unfolding of this. Gideon didn't get to this place of triumph and victory overnight. First, the angel of the Lord recalled that the pre-incarnate Christ came to him. Judges 6, 12. He says... uh, the Lord is with you, O oh, valiant warrior. Remember that? At that point, Gideon, in practical terms, was not a valiant warrior. He was fearful. He's anything but brave. But we see that he had become a man of faith. You notice here in chapter 8, Verse 7, back up there, 8-7, see this, the words of faith. All right, when the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, stop there. You don't see any doubt there, do you? He's pursuing them, and he is confident that the Lord's going to do it. He's a man of faith. Verse 9, so he also spoke to the men, Penuel, saying, when I return safely, I will tear this this tower down. But notice, when I return safely. Those were words of faith. He had become a mighty man of valor. God had worked with him, and now he was confident victory is mine. I'm sure of it. And in verse 10, there had been a decimation of the armies of of Midian. There were 15,000 men, about 11% of the 135,000 that had begun conflict. But Gideon pursued them, he completed his task. Verse 12. Zeb and Zalmuna fled. He pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmuna, and routed the whole army. Gideon completed the task. Verse 21 of Judges 8. Then Zeba and Zalmuna said, Rise up yourself. Speaking to Gideon, follow, as far as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeb and Zalmona and took the crescent ornaments which were on their camel's neck. He finished off the kings himself. He completed the work that God had given him to do. He, he, he had a great victory. He carried out his uh, divinely assigned task. He was persistent. D.O. Moody once said, quote, give me a man who says this one thing I do and not these 50 things I dabble with. This man, he said, I have a task assigned to me from Yahweh and I am going to complete it. That's the kind of commitment that we should have to the cause of Christ. Now, (laughs) let me me say this. You can um, hear the lessons. This is what this is about, practical spiritual lessons for your life in the church. You can have it expounded. You can say, okay, you got to pursue unity. Yes, you have to persevere in the the will of God. Let me tell you, the lessons, Bible lessons aren't really learned until you put them in practice. If we don't live them out, we haven't learned them. It's always the practical living out of the truth in our daily life, in interactions with others. The Bible is given to us merely to convey intellectual information, just something to have in our brains. It is to be lived in our experience. It's not practical if you don't practice it. And that's what we're called to do. And may God help us to do that for his own glory and for our joy and for the advancement of his cause. Let us bow together and pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the living Word of God. We thank you for its practical application. Thank you for y- your truth to help us to see so that we might live lives that are increasingly pleasing in your sight. May what we heard today be lived out in our life when we're confronted with challenges such as. Gideon's, the challenges like his, appropriate to our own day and age and our circumstance. May your spiritual principles undergird us and guide us as we recall them. We thank you for the privilege of hearing and knowing what your will is for us in these things. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. God willing, we'll be here again this coming Sunday. We look forward to seeing you join us at this time to worship together and hear the word of God together again. May the Lord keep you until that time. Thank you.